Hi, this is the Curious Kaki Show. I'm Sam. And I'm Yvonne. And on this episode, we have Joshua, a BMW product genius at Wheelcorp Premium Satya Alam to chat with us. Uh, first of all, thanks, Josh, for coming on to the show. Hi, thanks. Thank yeah. you. Uh, and our first question for you is, what in the world is a product genius? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, for... For BMW showrooms, by the way, the the full term is BMW uh, Product Genius, or some people say the BMW Genius, as written on my shirt. Um, it's <laughs> a newer position that you might find in a BMW showroom. Mm-hmm. Um, when you go to buy a BMW, part of the sales process, where uh, basically a, uh, a genius is supposed to know everything about the cars, help customers find the right model, um, go through the specification of the car, the details, the features in more detail. Mm-hmm. Um, it's different from a sales uh, sales advisor's position, right? Because it's it when you split the work, uh, salespeople can focus more on things like the documents, pricing, uh, finding new prospects, advertising, and all that. And the the product uh, the product genius can just focus on. Uh, the the car features the knowledge as well right. because the cars are getting more and more complex with every year with every generation there's more technology there's more technical details in each model to to keep track of so uh, uh, it's kind of cool that you know uh, car brands like BMW they're 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 splitting the work even within a dealership that there's someone dedicated just for uh, whether it's technical questions or just um, uh, knowledge about the cars itself, uh, someone dedicated just to keep track of that information and to to deliver a, a more comprehensive experience to the customer, and you know, salespeople can focus on on uh, bringing in business for the dealership and for the brand. Nice. Yeah. Nice. You talked about you know how the technologies in cars are always getting uh, mm. more complex, right? And they're actually growing in complexity. And are there automotive technologies that do very well in Malaysia, but not so much in other countries, or vice versa, right? Are automotive technologies that do uh, well in other countries, but not so much in Malaysia. Uh, interesting. Generally, Malaysians uh, have the sentiment that we want all the technology that's available. Mm-hmm. In the world, okay. we just feel like we're a few years behind in what we get and what's actually offered to us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I won't say there's a significant gap in what Malaysians prefer over uh, Europeans or Americans. Right. Not not a huge difference compared to mm. the rest of the world because not because we okay. So a hybrid car, the word hybrid is means a combination. Yeah. Right? So electric and also the um, combustion yeah, engine. So it can be diesel hybrid. So diesel is diesel and electric. Most of our all of the BMW hybrids are plug-in hybrids, which means it's electric and petrol. And plug-in means you can charge it externally, and you can use uh, with a certain range the car on full electric. Not all hybrids are plug-in lah. Mm-hmm. So plug-ins are the premium type of hybrid because you have these extra features and you can run it on pure electric. So the interesting part about uh, you mentioned technology, you can believe that. Wow. I think. 
Okay, so between a petrol car and a hybrid car, uh, the hybrid car would cost more. It's only logical. There's more parts. There's more technology, yeah. and that's totally right. And uh, Malaysia is one of the unique markets in the world that we sell a lot of hybrids. Uh, in Europe, generally, you see hybrid cars are priced at a premium, only logically. Uh, they are sold to specific customers who are suitable for it. Because generally, plug-in hybrids, you need a place to charge them at home. Or people who are they are familiar with electric cars, they're okay with you know planning their journeys. Because electric cars don't electric cars generally don't have the same range as petrol, and of course you can't just fill them up in five minutes uh, like a petrol car. So what I'm saying is uh, the the buyer for a plug-in hybrid isn't isn't the same as a normal petrol yeah. car. So you know countries like Europe, America, that would be a limited market in Malaysia because of the price and because of the tax incentives. Uh, hybrid cars sell a lot. If I'm not mistaken, it's probably 40 to 50% of our sales are plug-in hybrid cars. Wow, 40 to 50%. Yeah. Yes. Oh. Yes. And in some cases, in some models, the only model of, only variant in that model is a plug-in hybrid. Wow. You can't have the petrol version of that in Malaysia. But then in your experience, yeah. do the people who come into your showroom, for example, and yeah. end up with hybrid cars, is price a one of the main factors um yeah it is the number one right. factor of uh, i mean as opposed to uh environmental consciousness or yes yes <laughs> price is a more important factor to them than uh, environmental consequences yeah. well i guess we're still asians after all right <laughs> yeah yeah we're as a as a sentiment i mean price aside talking about okay my job we, we, I, I try to uh, always bring up conversations about the product itself, about how it's going to be used. And, and uh, you know, we talk about adding value to the customer. So mm. I, I leave the price talks to the salespeople. Yeah. I always talk about trying to find the right model for the customer mm. and, and uh, what really would suit their lifestyle, um, what they need from a car, right? So you try to bring it up. You try to bring environmental concerns mm -hmm. up. It's it's not a big, uh, not a common sentiment among Malaysian customers on the whole. It's sort of a bonus at best. I see. Like, oh, okay, yeah. And along the way, I'm buying this car. Oh, yeah, I get to save a few, hopefully a few kilograms of, of CO2 along the way, something like that. <laughs> right. Um, it's, I don't even try to sell the fuel saving side of mm -hmm. it. Um, a a plug-in hybrid at, at a luxury car level is difficult to uh, talk about savings in money in terms of how much fuel you save because petrol in Malaysia is cheap. Right. Petrol price is very low compared to other countries yep. per liter. So mm -hmm. when you do the calculations in general, it doesn't make much, uh, it doesn't make a big difference and also, by the way, I mean, if you're buying a luxury car, you're not buying a certain model to save money. Lah. I mean, if you spend two, three, four hundred thousand on a car, you don't really count like, okay, I save two ringgit a day on right. petrol by being a bit slower or, you know, BMW customers, uh, they go for performance, they go for comfort. Mm -hmm. 
they go for technology uh, image of course is a big thing the design of the car yeah so those it always usually comes back to those mm-hmm. things and and rightfully so, so that's however you want to see it that is the real reason why you see so many electric cars mm-hmm. uh, and hybrid cars come out on the market. Um, of course in Malaysia it's helped by the government incentives yeah. right? um so we so in Malaysia right now for proton we don't have the legislation where, where Proton, for example, is required to reduce uh, their carbon emissions. Yeah, we don't. Oh, I see. But then it's uh, we're just not that strict. On okay. It. Is that why, like the Malaysian government, because we're a very commodity-based okay. uh, country, right? We run on petrol. Is that why do you think that that reduces the com- uh, company like Proton's incentive to maybe reduce their carbon footprint? Mm. Not really, not as a major factor. I think, um, mm. I think on the whole, what I feel about our nation car legislation is actually it's just a bit outdated. For example, you guys know what road tax is. Yeah. Like uh, every year you have to pay. Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. So road tax, road tax price is often calculated not on how much the the buying price of the car. Uh-huh. It's calculated on the cubic capacity of the engine, meaning how big the engine right. is. So last time, and we're mm-hmm. talking decades ago, late maybe the 90s or early 2000s, generally the bigger the engine, the more powerful the car yep. is. Generally, the more expensive the car and is. And also like. more fuel consumption, more carbon emission. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we haven't talked about carbon emissions. All right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, not, Non-existent. Not a, not mainstream concern yet. So, so back, okay, I'm just talking about Malaysian road tax rules. Lah. Uh okay, a Toyota Vios or Honda City is one and a half liters. You pay about ninety ringgit a year. Mm-hmm. A two liter Honda Civic, uh, I think it's about three or four hundred ringgit a year. Mm-hmm. A two point five liter common model BMW back then that would be maybe nine hundred ringgit per wow. year. Okay. And then a, a three liter engine, uh, so maybe a higher end BMW or. A, Porsche or something like that, three liters or a Jaguar back then would be, even now you pay 2,000 ringgit a year. Wow. And then it goes exponentially. So, okay, okay that made sense back then when you can, you can make the generalization, rich people buy big CC cars, big, big capacity cars. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's not applicable almost at all now. This is such an old rule. Engine technology has totally changed. We use things such as turbochargers and just ah. the power you can get from a tiny engine. Yeah. BMW sells cars that are 1.5 liters mm-hmm. and they are more powerful than a lot of 1.8 and 2 liter engines mm-hmm. from non-luxury brands. Mm-hmm. You can get... Uh, Mercedes makes the most powerful 2 liter car in the world. It's a turbocharged the A45. Uh, that car costs, what's that, 400,000 ringgit plus? Yeah. Don't tell me that the person who buys that is in the same income group as a Honda Civic. Mm. It's just not. So I don't have mm. to take this analogy that far. Like, you can see basing these rules, tax rules on cubic capacity is, is just old-fashioned. Like, to put right. it that way. They should, mm. if you, if you uh, yeah, Singapore, I think, still kind of follows this to an extent. So different countries, different. You, uh, in Europe, they look at carbon emissions. Okay. Okay. Uh, 
even in UK, I think cert- below a certain level, you're exempt from that five pound congestion charge in London. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, certain levels and below. So, so you're incentivized in a very real way. That means you, you're actually sitting down and calculating the cost of total cost of owning a mm-hmm. car for a year or whatever, or even more so if you're a company buyer, like a, uh, your company cars buying for your stuff, you calculate all the numbers. It works out very practically for them to buy more efficient cars. It's not because you don't have to care about the environment. That, that's a good incentive system that it, it automatically makes people want to buy less uh, ecologically damaging yep. cars. It, it makes sense. Yeah, so our rules are just a bit behind, la, put it that way. Fair enough. Yeah. I guess let's move on to like a more I guess, juicy, uh, in-depth topic. Right? Like, which I would like to know, like, what, tell me your first experience like, with a car. Like, was that where your passion for cars started? That's why you're I, so I like passionate cars about since cars? I was very small, maybe four. Yeah. Um, okay. I did. I. Most car enthusiasts would have probably thought of working in the car industry in one way or another. Not everybody does. Uh, in Malaysia, the opportunities are not huge. Maybe, you know, you start a, a modification shop or you do thing thing. Um, for me, I decided I, I took a business degree, mm-hmm. economics and marketing. Um, at some point, I just, I just decided, I mean, uh, I wanted it to be more than a hobby. So I didn't just uh, want to learn about nerdy facts and stuff that excites me. I really wanted to understand how the car industry worked and how to create value in it. I'm still not always sure there's a, there are the ways I want mm-hmm. to, to do that. Um, but yeah, maybe a few years ago, I just figured like, okay, uh, that's, that's the place I can use my skills best. That's what I know the best. That's the industry I know best. Mm. Yeah. And uh, I love, for me personally, in terms of cars, uh, I'm not always into the fastest or the most expensive car out there, per se. For me, my preferences, what excites me are cars. I like old cars. Mm -hmm. I like cars that look nice and cars that drive I like how cars drive. It can be uh, something that's very exciting to drive mm-hmm. or something that's uh, anything very comfortable or just something unique. That, what does yeah. it really mean to have a unique driving experience? Yeah. Do you think um, as a general population in Malaysia, do you think that we would appreciate cars more if we could tell the difference. Do you think it's necessary that we tell the difference? I, I think the car industry in Malaysia is actually huge. Um, a lot of Malaysians on average know a bit about cars. Mm-hmm. It's, it's actually comparable to our food, our food market. Like, um, I, don't, I don't feel there's a, a huge gap in, you know, the difference in people's ability to perceive differences in cars. Right. Okay. Uh, yeah. I mean, 
Proton sells a lot of cars. Honda sells a lot. Mm-hmm. BMW sells a mm-hmm. lot. Uh, in the past one or two months, I'm sure we've seen even some of us have even seen supercars, million million dollar cars, and all that like Ferraris, Lamborghinis. I yeah, I think Malaysians' relationship with cars actually could almost generalize to say yeah, Malaysians like cars a lot mm-hmm. on the whole. And uh, the other thing is that you know most of us in Klang Valley need a car to get around. Right. So so in that way, in terms of the basic transport need is. I think it will be there for a while, mm. and it's been there for for a long time. Do you think if our public transportation system improves mm. to a uh, incredible amount, that say say like Singapore, right? Uh, do you think we would still yeah. have that market for cars? I would hope it. Uh, I would hope the need for it goes down. Actually. Okay. As much as I love cars, I don't. I don't believe they're the best way to get around, mm. or like highest form of transport, like. I really wish we had better uh, public transportation. Mm. Yeah, it would totally help. Cars are not the cheapest, most efficient way to get around. I don't think anybody would say that. I don't definitely don't yeah. think so. Um, they're very per person per mile. They're very bad for the environment. Questions. I actually want autonomous <laughs> driving to come soon. Right. Yeah, mm. for safety reasons. That's us, yeah. Besides anything mm-hmm. else, I think. Uh, and whatever car enthusiasts would say, and I'm in that group, I think that 90-something percent of all car accidents are human error. And the only way to do it is that the the entire road, all the cars on the road are autonomous. I feel like the number of accidents would just right. go down so much. Then you can actually get into the car drunk, right? And like, you know, you don't have yep. to to do the driving. But that's what people want, right? But we do that and drive anyway. So might as well make it safer yeah, anyway. I think so too. Yeah. But so like in an well, what, ideal yeah. country where the public transportation system is efficient and people uh, don't actually need to use cars anymore, even in the inner city, what kind of value would cars even supply to, um, to the, I'll say our Malaysian consumers? Yeah, I mean the the that's interesting. I'm not sure how Malaysians uh, would view it, and I think we could probably all agree like Malaysia would be a few years behind uh, the rest of the world at best. Developing countries with different types of road networks, autonomous works to different degrees, lah. I mean, uh, I think. Looking in the future, looking at uh, what, you know, journalists, automotive journalists in UK and US for, uh, predict for the future. Because in US, you see autonomous technology is uh, kind of already picking up in certain cities. I think cars would probably be more of a recreational, non-necessity uh, type of vehicle. Mm. I would hope that that need in the in the mainstream consumer is replaced by public transport and hopefully eventually autonomous vehicles. I think overall in the long term it is still just better if you don't have to drive yourself and and buy your own car mm. and all that. I think I mean it depends to what extent uh, public roads become autonomous lah. Right. 
for Malaysia huh. again. For me, I don't see that happening in the next five years, ten years. Definitely not completely lah. I don't know about America or or Europe lah. Um, with that in mind, so so with that in mind, this is why a lot of companies are uh, pushing even non-luxury brands, even Proton. Uh, credits to them, their current lineup models. They are very generous with safety features. Mm. Uh, intelligent safety features, mm. features that, and this is a controversial topic in itself. There are features right now that uh, in a car that you can buy for less than a hundred thousand ringgit. Right. Um, so of course, the more you pay, the more mm. you get. Um, features that you know, if you if you're texting on your phone yeah. and you miss the car in front, uh, it will try in certain speed ranges to to break right. and avoid wow. a collision or at least try to reduce the severity of a collision there are features that detect when there's a car on the side or a motorcycle on the side it just lights up the, the the wing mirror it lights it up um all sorts of features i can i can go on and on that um you know we demonize drunk driving but like you know more and more people are texting while driving that's it's actually very dangerous, but this is mm-hmm. the driving environment we have yeah. today. Um, yeah, and then it's uh, it's very right. difficult to control that. So, so the g- general trend of technology, as we put more and more features, this is the direction that we've chosen. It's an imperfect direction because it makes people worse drivers. Why do I say that? So last time and continually as you go further back in history there were less safety yeah. features before 1965 i think there were not seat belts i'm not sure which year for different countries it was mandated to even have seat belts let alone airbags or anti-lock braking system mm. so so the driver has to be aware was, right <laughs> yeah yeah so uh people from older generations some might say uh, they were better drivers mm. then and it makes sense without a seat belt you would be extra careful yeah. And just the consequences of a mistake are much bigger, right? So on average, drivers are getting worse. They are less attentive. They are less skillful in handling uh, a car in an emergency situation. They are less skillful in handling cars in a normal situation. Mm. Uh, We complain and we joke about bad drivers, but there is reasons to believe drivers are getting worse as time goes by. Because... And what statistics say is there are more accidents now and there are less deaths. Ah, so we're in a weird position. I understand. We're in a weird position now mm. where people are just more careless yep. on the road, but cars are safer than they ever yep. were. I understand. So with this direction in mind, it's very difficult to reverse this and say, okay, people need to become better drivers. With this trajectory, it leads to autonomous driving. That's the only logical conclusion I mm. feel. Because as long as there's human error, there will be accidents. And uh, the only way to like control that is to put the, the responsibility on car makers to make safer cars. So they will make cars with more and more features as time goes by at a lower and lower yeah. price. To, to, so cars are already heading in the direction mm-hmm. like getting in a, in a new car now is like a bubble of technology and uh, airbags and and just all sorts of active, passive and active safety that uh, 
your the likeliness of dying in a in a crash is just getting lower. Mm. So, yeah, of course, in many ways, that is a very good thing. I'm gonna shift to something a little bit more uh, less heavy, I suppose. What's something um, in your experience and, of course, in your own personal uh, learning that you has really impressed you about um, our Malaysian automotive industry? I know there's a lot to complain about, but um, what's is there something that has really impressed you? Few things. Uh, as a car enthusiast, Malaysia is not a bad place to be. Um, like I said, I do feel we love our cars. Uh, for one reason or another, like I said, on average, we know a bit about cars. Like, I'm not sure if it's because historically, you know, we've had our own brands of cars. Mm -hmm. So as a public, we engage with cars a bit more than, for example, you know, within Southeast Asia. Right. Uh, yeah. Complain about our roads as much as we do. We do not have the best in the yeah. world. Our highway network is decent by a lot of developing country standards. I agree. I do agree. Uh, this, our average uh, highway speeds are the highest in <laughs> Southeast Asia. And uh, is, wait, is that good or, you know? Our national limit is 110 km right. per hour. That is the legal limit. On average, we drive much faster than that. But okay, if you compare to a developed country, of course, you'll be freaked out at how undisciplined we are. But compared to the rest of Southeast Asia or other developing countries, yeah. we have decent lane discipline mm. and we know how to uh, you know, uh, enjoy the roads. So, yeah, I do think uh, so. That's kind of cool. Yeah, that's kind of cool. Uh, I noticed our, our road discipline, our lane discipline, uh, for some reason gets more control as I move out of the city, you know, I noticed, yeah, like, you know, if I'm, if I'm, if I'm uh, having a road trip to like Penang or something, like people are so polite, like yeah. it, when I flash, they just go, or even if I'm going yeah, yeah. right behind them, they just yeah, go. Yeah, It's like, you, you don't have to, within KL, you know, everybody's in a rush and everybody's competitive. So they don't want to let, like, right. go, but yeah, I know the same thing. Uh, yeah, it's funny. We talk about, you know, people say, oh, speed is dangerous and all that. In Germany, certain stretches of their national highway, they call it the Autobahn, right. uh, they do not have a speed limit. And, you know, a lot of German cars are high performance. Mm. There are stretches of, of highway in Germany where you can legally do any speed. So, yes, up to even 300 km per hour or wow. higher. People do that on a regular basis. Certain times, certain stretches... The reasons, there are a few reasons why they can have such a thing. Um, one is, of course, the quality of the roads. Uh, two is the culture and the driver education, of course, is to a much higher standard. It's very difficult to get a driver's license there. Um, and and uh, the rules and the culture behind those roads are very strict. I'll just give you some weird examples. It's illegal to run out of, of, of fuel on a <laughs> What? It's yeah. If you run out of fuel on, on those highways, <laughs> you, you deserve a ticket. Oh my goodness! So, so because of this, they they control, uh, uh, you know, the standards of what people do on those highways much stricter. And because of that control and discipline, you get to enjoy the roads to higher speeds and all that, and they are quite safe. Wow! Yeah. Well, we've almost come to the end of our mm. episode, and um, as always, we have our last two questions for our guests. Cool. So, uh, Yvonne, take it away. All right. I think. Okay. 
What is your dream car? I'm just curious. Uh, is this gonna go on for like ten minutes? Uh, <laughs> I'll narrow it down to three for you. Ten minutes. <laughs> not even, not even why this. Okay. No, okay. <laughs> dream car. Okay, I'll give you three. I'll give you uh one old one, one really expensive one, and one wild card. Okay. So the old one would be a late 50s, early 1960s Citroen DS. Okay. This car has fascinated me as a kid. So that's a French car, right? It's a French car. It is a very unique car, even by today's standards. It has features. I won't go into detail. It has features that would be something a product genius or a salesperson would, would go crazy over, even by today's standards. Mm-hmm. Uh, the level of comfort and just the unique design. I think it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, an expensive one, uh, I would say my favorite BMW would be the BMW M5 uh, from the uh, late, early, late 1980s to early mid 19, uh, 1990s, the E34 generation. I have a car that's similar to this, but not the full... Uh, highest spec specification mm-hmm. version lah is a five series. So this car is cool because it's. Uh, I mean, as someone who actually likes BMWs itself, it's uh, part of their history. It's not the most common or most popular model, but I, I just thought it the way it looks, the way it sounds, uh, the way it drives, it's really cool, and uh, yeah, it's just in line with my mm. taste. The third one I'll give you maybe uh, a wild card. I actually asked for well, one, but okay. Uh, <laughs> we're happy to have uh, you know more more than that, I suppose. Okay, uh, I'll give you a weird one lah. Honda N box. Okay, N Honda N. So the letter N box. N box. It's a small car that you generally okay. get in Japan. It's like a K car. It's a K car. So K car basically means in Japan they have certain brackets of of pack and and price that uh, if the car is smaller than a certain size, engine smaller than a certain size, uh, tax is cheaper. It's cheaper to run, cheaper mm-hmm. to own. Um, so uniquely Japanese car, right? That's that's grown out from Japan's okay. situate uh, situation. I think it's cool. It's super spacious inside, even though it's a tiny car, and. Uh, it looks good in all cra- kind of crazy colors like yellow and turquoise and red and yeah, fantastic. All right. So um, one last question. What do you wish our Malaysian public would understand more about cars? If there's something you could leave with our listeners. Okay. Um, top of my head, if it has to be one thing, I would hope customers, uh, general public would care about the environment more. Okay. Yeah, um, it's going to sound just flat, like it's flying in the face of like everything you said, but I hope we try public transportation. <laughs> as, a, as a BMW product uh, genius, you hope people try public transportation more. I said <laughs> okay, la, not, not and, and with time, COVID but times. Guys, yeah. But um, it's not just buy more environmentally friendly cars. It's the way we use the cars, even... People who buy hybrid cars, actually, if you use them a certain way, you charge them regularly, you learn how the car works, you can get a lot of efficiency out of them. In other words, you can 
you can avoid using fossil fuels a lot. Yeah, I mean, this is the benefit of electric mm. cars. And, uh, you know, uh, put put the production uh, costs aside and, you know, battery production uh, damaging, damaging damages to the environment that cutting down the amount of carbon dioxide, monoxide and, and just smog in the air, you know, uh, I, I think that would be nice, lah. You know, if we if we have a bit of right. cleaner air, yeah, and just less noise pollution mm. on the road, I think that would be nice. Yeah. So, get to know your car, how to maximize its mm. efficiency, and also, yeah, maybe once in a while try some public trans- transportation. Yeah. All right. Well, <laughs> you, you know, here and there where you can. All right. Why not? <laughs> why not? Well, um, couple. Thanks yeah. for chatting with us and helping us learn more about cars and the automotive industry. It was great. Uh, All of you out there listening, thanks for listening with us on the Curious Kaki Show. Stay curious.